But someone somewhere is looking at a graph of kids over a wide span of development and then with a tight bell curve slaps it on and decides, you know, the majority of kids are here. We tighten the bell curve. That lines up at third grade. That's a terrible way to talk about education. That's a terrible way to determine funding. That's a terrible way to set policy. Um, you know, the story of education is individual students in their challenges, in their backgrounds, what they have, what they lack. Um, and so the story of education should be your success stories and not just those kids that qualify for a national merit scholarship. It should be the kids that show up two or three years behind and in a year's time make a year and a half's worth of progress. If we sold education in that manner, don't you believe it'd be better funded? From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm your host, Dan Moyle, and I believe in the power of story from personal connections to business to education. Storytelling separates us from all other life on earth. It truly connects us, and we're about to connect and dive into another great story with a fantastic storyteller. But before we do, a quick reminder that the website is where everything you need lives. Great resources, past interviews and episodes to get inspiration from, and contact information for me. Visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for all of that. And be sure to subscribe via email where you can get monthly updates on new episodes and what's going on. You can sign up there at thestorytellersnetwork.com. So today's guest, Alex Lee spent more than 20 years as a storyteller for a public school system. As the executive director of communications for Kalamazoo Public Schools, Alex was instrumental in telling the story of the Kalamazoo Promise, that amazing scholarship deal that got national coverage. Well, he helped launch that communications story, among many other great stories as well. Now, in addition to that career, Alex actually spent a few years early on in communications for the United States Navy, specifically on the radio airwaves. Great storytelling there as well. Can't wait for you to hear that. Now, he's always been telling stories his whole life, as you'll find out. And now that he's out of education, he does it for a small village in southwest Michigan, where everything from a massive business development, the mill in Vicksburg, to small town politics and meetings and everything that goes on with a small village. All of that and more is part of his daily storytelling. So let's get to those stories. All right, Alex, welcome to the Storytellers Network. I'm, I'm glad to have you on board, man. Thanks, Dan. It's good to see you. So let's. So you and I have been sitting here for a little while um, off mic, and I believe I know the answer to this, but let me ask you, do you consider yourself a storyteller? Absolutely. And why is that? Is well, that a career thing or is that a personal thing? Um, a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, my mom would probably tell you I was the greatest <laughs> storyteller of all times. Sure. Um, you cannot work in the communication business. You cannot work in any business uh, without being able to tell your story, um, to hear other people's stories. 
um, to come together to solve issues, to solve problems. We're all storytellers, mm. some better than others. Absolutely. And so when you talk about the communications field, uh, in your intro I mentioned a little bit about your history, but let's let's talk about that. How long did you spend in the communication fields in schools particularly? Um, specific to education, about two and a half decades. Wow. And what is it? What is it about story that lends itself to education? And then we can get into if it's being used or not that way. But what is it about story that that drives that educational side of our lives? Um, I would have to say that I, I believe education uh, is critically bad at telling its story. Uh, first of all, if you think about something like the third grade reading law, which in the state of Michigan now says if a child is behind by two grades at third grade, uh, you have to retain them. Mm. And when you think about this whole process and somebody's talking to you about this, in your mind you're seeing a single child, Yeah. correct? Right. Oh, your yeah. child, a relative, or some child that you picture that is behind and isn't going to make it. But the truth is somebody somewhere has taken a population of children that arguably, uh, if you've had more than one child uh, in your home or in your extended family, you know they all develop at different times in different ways in different areas. Yeah. But someone somewhere is looking at a graph mm. of kids over a wide span of development and then with a tight bell curve slaps it on and decides, you know, the majority of kids are here. We tighten the bell curve. That lines up at third grade. That's a terrible way to talk about education. That's a terrible way to determine funding. That's a terrible way to set policy. Um, you know, the story of education is individual students in their challenges, in their backgrounds, what they have, what they lack. Um, and so the story of education should be your success stories and not just those kids that qualify for a national merit scholarship. Mm. It should be the kids that show up two or three years behind and in a year's time make a year and a half's worth of progress. Mm. If we sold education in that manner, don't you believe it'd be better funded? Oh yeah, absolutely. Don't you believe it'd be better supported? Absolutely. How, how, do, you, how do you tell that story in today's day and age then? Do you think? We used to do it um, we created a community-wide, or I should say a district-wide newspaper that was 12 pages, full color, delivered to every home in the community. So whether your children were a part of our public school system, some sort of private school, some sort of parochial school, some sort of charter school, you got our newspaper. Mm -hmm. And in that newspaper, we did not focus on the political issues. We did not focus entirely on the funding issues. And I'll come back to that uh, if prompted at some point. Um, but we talked about kids, individual success, not only in academics, but in art, in vocational training, um, in sports. Those sort of things... Um, helped change the perception, I believe, over the two and a half decades I worked in public education. Yeah. And is that written word still powerful today, even in 2019, 2020? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And a picture is still worth 10,000 of those mm-hmm. uh, words. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the stories I know that came out in Kalamazoo and while you were there was this Kalamazoo promise. So take me back to that early time when that story was coming out. How much were you able to be involved in telling that story you know, and and so we'll get into that. We'll get into other questions from there. But how involved were you in telling that story of the Kelmans of Promise? Critically involved, and critically involved before the story was told. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big secret to keep <laughs> for probably two years before we announced the story. And it, wow. it's funny when we talk about the story. Uh, one of my rules of communications is: if you're waiting for someone else to tell your story, the worst thing that can possibly happen is they will. Mm. It's not your story anymore. So, you know, there was um, a lot of pre-planning involved, as you can imagine. This was a tremendous amount of money. This was a tremendous social experiment. Um, There were a lot of questions beforehand. Um, Some, you know, mine personally were being devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were going to make this tremendous announcement and they were going to give these dollars to go to any public Michigan university or community college um, to the seniors that were now four or five months away from graduation. Mm. So think about that, 12 and a half years of assuming you're never going to college. They did not have the transcripts uh, in place for college. They were not ready. And I pointed out that, you know, perhaps the folks were going to deem this a failure pretty quickly because those those students were not going to be prepared. And so the question uh, to the group of people discussing it is, are we sure we want to give this to seniors was meant with a you bet we do. We want to be more inclusive. And I said, but, you know, they're not ready. And I was told, that's your problem. <laughs> and uh, But you're seeing now that people are looking at the promise and they're looking at the number of students that over the 13 plus years uh, have taken advantage. But they're only seeing the first three classes that have graduated because you have 10 years to use those dollars. And so it looks like it's not working well. Hmm. But statistics uh, lie and liars use statistics. (laughs) So we, we have those issues. But uh, a funny personal story is I had a uh, Kalamazoo Gazette reporter in my office by the name of Julie Mack, who is an outstanding reporter, and she was not going to leave my office on this Thursday morning because she was getting wind of something in the community, and she knew it had something to do with a scholarship. And, of course, I was not at liberty to discuss anything um, And I was trying to let her know that, you know, when we're ready to disclose whatever this is you think you have and that I may or may not have, uh, I will share it with you first. She was having none of it. As I said, she was a very good reporter. Um, When she finally did uh, very frustratedly leave my office, uh, I went up and talked to the superintendent. Now, the plan at this point was to announce it the following Tuesday. But, you know, we were having signs made. We were talking to the mayor. We were talking to leaders throughout the community asking him to be at an event. So the rumors were swirling. Sure. So I met with the superintendent uh, and said, we have to announce this at tonight's board meeting because it's our story and we need to tell it. 
And if you've ever worked in public education or been around public education or had a child Mm -hmm. in public education, you know they are very good at bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And they do not move quickly. So this was a panic situation, and the superintendent talked to the board members, and there were all these reasons why we couldn't do this. But I just kept insisting that it had to happen. So about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they decided, okay, we're going to do it. Now I had to get everybody in the community in that room. I had to get students and and the mayor, and you know I had to uh, call the television stations and radio stations and say, you have to be here tonight. And the question was, why? And I said, well, I can't tell you that. Hmm. This better not be another national merit scholar. You know, we're coming. But um, so I I distinctly remember we went to the superintendent for the announcement. And I was watching the audience, all the community members. We had a number of students and their parents in the room that evening. And Dr. Janice Brown made the announcement. And the room just went dead silent. Hmm. And then there was a combination of disbelief in tears and absolute jubilation in cheers. And I truly wish every administrator in a public school district uh, could experience that. One of, one of the greatest things. And I thought you'll never beat that minute. And I was wrong with every student that should never have made it, that did. Yeah. How do you build that trust to be with... Because so I see a couple layers here. I see you are telling the story of public education, of KPS in particular, Kalamazoo Public Schools. You're a storyteller. But there are those who hold the, the keys to the audience, maybe, the, the, the media, the press, this kind of thing. How do you build their trust to be able to help you tell your story? By being honest, by being transparent, Mm -hmm. by being available. Uh, Those are the keys. Uh, If you mislead people, if you withhold portions of the truth when you have them, um, and I say that because in emergent situations in school, everybody wants your information immediately, and you may not have the the whole story. but you have to be honest. And you also have to tell your story past those people who would impede it. Mm. Because the people that behind need to hear the story as well. So the vehicle for sharing that information is incredibly as important as the honesty and thoroughness of the story. Yeah. And how, how have those avenues changed over your couple decades of storytelling? Well, I, I think the... Um, tempest in the teapot, uh, for lack of a better term, would be social media. Mm. You you know, there's a a situation in a school where you go to lockdown, and every child in that school is on their social media device talking to their parents and friends um, in a panic, in an embellished tone. Um, Your job is to relay information, but it may take you um, 20 to 25 minutes to determine what happened. Yeah. A number of things happen in public education, but parents' first thought would be these horrible situations like Parkland, like Columbine, and, and on and on and on and on. Yeah. But it could be a robbery in the community um, where 
the police notify you that you need to lock down. It could be a fire or an accident on a corner where the majority of your buses go through and we're asked to just keep kids in the school mm-hmm. until they can clean those things up. But you have to determine that. And in the moment, you cannot build trust when you can't provide information. So that needs to be done beforehand. Yeah. And I think one of the things in social media, and now being in, in the government side of things, is to build that trust beforehand, to build an uh, audience in social media where when something is amiss and the naysayers take the stage, those people who trust you will jump in and say, hey, we trust them. They'll get the information to us when they can. So I I guess a very long answer is you have to build that trust before it's needed. Yeah. And and it sounds like kind of have your your ambassadors. And, And not that you're taking advantage of people, but you have your ambassadors that help you tell your story also. Right. So that you're building that that tribe, that family, that that group around you at all times, huh? Right. And I and I like to do that in what I call people's spheres of influence. You, you know, um, I can tell your neighbors a story. Um, if they don't have a personal connection with me, I'm like every other voice telling them. But if I share that story with you who is in the sphere of influence with your neighbors mm. and you can tell the story to them it's much more credible yeah so you're absolutely right um so alex what do you what do you love about telling stories you did it for 40 years in communications you're doing it now for the village of vicksburg why do you love telling stories so much um i i think in a nutshell because stories have happy endings mm. and not all stories have happy endings immediately. Um, But if there's still time, there's still time for a happy outcome. Mm -hmm. And I think people want to see a a happy outcome. I think people step forward when they know they can make a difference. Um, So, you know, most of the stories that I've been involved in have been happy endings or very courageous uh, endings. Mm And the more of that we share, the more this divide um, on almost every level in our country today um, can be breached. Where did you find that you had that desire to do that? Did it click for you at some point? Was it when you got into the field professionally? Have you just begun to realize that over the years? That's why you love it? Or what what was it for you? I, I think the people that directed my career probably realized that before I did and steered me. And I say that because uh, attending college on an athletic scholarship, I decided that, uh, um, you know, girls like guys who played in the band much better than they liked uh, people who sat on the bench uh, during the football games. And so, um, you know, I I didn't pay attention to uh, the scholarship. I grew my hair long. I I got in a copy band. We traveled around a little. You know, I was going to be a rock star. Mm -hmm. Um, But every time I tried to make that move up the ladder, people tried to make clear to me that, you know what, you don't play that well. You don't sing that well. Um, You know, but I had this tremendous love for music. So one time I was uh, auditioning for a band, um, 
and uh, or maybe the band was auditioning for, um, I think, a part in a video of, of something. And in talking to the panel that was going to determine which band, um, the guy said, we want you. And I'm like, terrific. I can't wait to tell the guys. He said, we don't want the guys. We, we want you. <laughs> You're going to narrate MC and do this project. And so I went in the studio, and I, I did this, and I kind of liked it. Yeah. And there were a couple of big-name radio folks uh, from one of the bigger cities uh, there, and they invited me to be on their their program and to help things. And, you know, it started out, I, I did the news, and pretty soon I was doing some of the entertainment pieces and some of the things, and I, I fell into radio. And it's funny that um, at, at some point I realized uh, I'm not bringing in enough money to buy a house, raise a family, mm. uh, do all these things. And uh, I had to join the, the military in order to finish my college. Uh, we didn't have a promise scholarship back <laughs> then for, for folks. So um, I joined the Navy and uh, through the admission process or wh whatever it was called, uh, I was not drafted, I joined, but in, um, they looked at my resume, my experience, and said, you're going to go into broadcasting with the Far East Network headquarters in Tokyo. <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, and then I finished my bachelor's and master's when I was in the service, and I thought, I'm going to go into social engineering, city management, one of those sort of things, because the, the radio thing was, this was back in the day, you'd get a job at a station, and within six months, They'd be bringing in big tapes of um, beautiful music and mm -hmm. things you didn't want to do. <laughs> so you were bouncing around a lot. Um, and I thought that'd be great. But every job, people would look at that radio, music, storytelling experience and said, you're the communications guy. <laughs> so I think um, a whole lot of people sort of decided that for me. But I've never regretted it, and I enjoy doing it. As much as you enjoy it, I believe there have to be challenges. What's one of your biggest challenges as, a, as that storyteller, as that communications guy, as you called it? Um, delivering the occasional, inevitable, bad story. Yeah. Um, it's easier to run from the truth than it is to tell it mm. when that truth can be painful or damaging. Um, but... You know, anybody can sail a ship on a calm sea. And uh, when you're at the helm, you don't get the choice. Yeah. What's an example of one of those moments, if you go back, and then we'll explore how you did it and how you felt, but what's one of those moments of that bad kind of a story? Um, early on in my career when we had a, uh, um, a number of issues um, that resulted in a... Uh, kindergartner being run over by a school bus oh wow um you know there were just um some some horrible circumstances you know starting with a substitute uh bus driver um starting with a windy day starting in a uh, you know busy situation where a number of children um got off the bus together uh, bigger kids, smaller kids, um, and a piece of artwork blowing underneath that bus mm. and a child going to retrieve it. Um, mm. And, you know, 
the bus driver not being aware. And um, that was probably the most painful um, thing to deal with um, that I can remember. How do you turn that from a statistic into this was a person? How did you manage to do that? I, I don't know that we ever did. Mm. Um, I mean, a child lost is a, is a painful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a number of things that came out of that situation. Uh, one being that every district bus, if you've ever seen when the bus stops, um, there's a gate on the front that comes out that doesn't allow um, traffic in front of the bus. Mm-hmm. I mean, close to the bus. So you have to, if you're going around that, you're you're well within the driver's view. Um, I, I suppose that was a positive um, for the district, and and you would like to think those safety issues may have, um, you know, stopped another child from running at the point of time. I I know there is a uh, picture and a plaque. Um, in the halls of the elementary school that child attended. Um, but that doesn't bring that child back. That doesn't finish that child's career. That uh, have mitigated all the great things that child could have become. Yeah. So that's the best of a very bad situation. And, it, and it's, it feels like, it seems like, story is what helps us to, to live on past that. You know, kindergartner will never see what you just talked about. Will never see their life to come to fruition, graduate, do things in the world. But being able to tell that child's story helps keep them in our consciousness in some way. Is that part of why story can be so powerful? You know, I'm not sure that you can tell a story to overcome grief. Mm. Uh, you may be able to tell a story to help cope with that grief. Um, I'm not sure I have the answer to that. I, I still feel some of the pain of, of that whole experience. And, and um, if there is anything good out of it, it certainly doesn't outweigh the bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't imagine what that would be like uh, as that child's family. Um, when you're telling stories, when you're, whether you're reporting the news as it were in a way or whether you are helping to create a story around like the Kalamazoo promise mm-hmm. where do you go to for inspiration is it internal is it something external where do you find your inspiration for storytelling um i go to the issue to the thought to the program and i look and listen to find the story mm-hmm. um i never try to concoct the story i may uh, when moving out to uh, frame a situation, have in my mind, um, you know, we need a positive story, we need this, we need that. Um, people always walk out to accomplish this with, um, you know, preconceived ideas. And sometimes I think that hinders our storytelling. If you just go out and you look, and you feel, I think, uh, somebody who's good at storytelling will find that story. 
um, which is different than making that story. Mm. Uh, I don't like to walk out with a box and fill it full of of things, um, you know, and say, here's another box of things. Uh, I like to walk out there without the box and let the story build the box around uh, what it is. So if it's unique, if it's a different angle, um, people love to be surprised in stories as well. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes crafting the story and making people believe you're going down this road they've heard before, and they'll stay with you because they're ready for that happy ending. They're ready for this. They, people like to know what's coming. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can feed people, uh, you know, down the road, and then you get to the, to, the, to the trophy, to the story, to the smile point. Um, but I love it when that story changes direction. Uh, and people have to come back and say to you, you didn't do that right. Mm-hmm. And that begins a discussion around the story that, that brings the story even further to life. Mm. So there, there are methods, as you well know, yeah. Uh, yeah. from your career in, in how you do that. But, but I like to walk into the situation uh, and let the story find me. So you're a listener. You use empathy, it sounds like, and an open mind. I think that's critical. Good listening is necessary for good stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless perhaps that story is your own. Um, But quite frankly, you know, there's an awful lot of people telling their own story and an awful lot of people getting bored with it. Yeah, amen. So what did, how has the transition been from that, all those years in public education and being that, I would imagine a conduit between school and media, school and families, school and students, whatever this is, right? What have you taken from that into this public life of being a spokesperson for a little village? Um, It's really all the same. Hmm? You have the same constituents. You have, um, you know, you you provide a service uh, for folks, whether they believe you're providing a service or providing an obstacle um, whatever, all those components are the same. But um, I think here, uh, you know, in the community I'm working in, there's so much promise, so much development, so many wonderful pieces to build something to resurrect small-town America mm-hmm. that, to me, that's very exciting. Um, today in education, um, you know, teachers are being vilified. Um, the uh, divisiveness between administration and teachers and and sometimes the children get lost in the arguments at at those levels the underfunding the um, bad uh, governmental decisions in terms of of finances um, you know so um, education is a really really tough arena and after two and a half decades um, you know, I was happy to pass the torch. It was time for new ideas, new blood. Um, you know, if they decided to, to go down the same road, it was someone else's turn to carry that. Mm-hmm. Um, here I'm in a new position. This is a position that um, was usually handled by other folks. You know, they all, and, and still, um, in any organization, everybody has a community outreach uh, responsibility, mm, because everybody deals with the uh, the project. But 
but I got to tell you, at a very advanced age, um, this is a breath of fresh air for me. And, and what's going on in the community of Vicksburg with the mill project, uh, with the infrastructure, with, um, you know, our downtown, um, this is really the place to be. And I'm very fortunate to be here. Yeah. I, I love, as a, as a, a Vicksburg Bulldog myself, born and raised, uh, I love seeing it. And, and that's, you mentioned the mill project. Is that one of the current stories that really gets you fired up right now, telling uh, that story? No question about it. I mean, they are doing things that are dovetailed into our uh, regional area that are incredible. For, for instance, there was a pop-up concert here recently where the um, millionaire uh, developer, philanthropist, and um, idea man... Um, brought a popular band from Seattle in and uh, 200 guests were invited. And I think in the excitement of all that, some folks missed the music fellowship they announced. In other words, you you have a group, you're an individual performer, whatever. Uh, They're building this music fellowship that you can apply for. It'll be paid. You'll be living in one of our historic buildings, uh, you and your group. You will have access to uh, practice facilities. You will create a piece here in Vicksburg. Um, my hope is that they'll perform it uh, in a VIP invitation, uh, kind of like the Moondoggies did when they were here. Um, and then uh, as the mill develops, there'll be a public performance of the piece that you create here. Now, people may think, well, you know, that, that would work just about anywhere. Well, uh, maybe not. You know, something starts in a cornfield, um, you know, how do you get the word out? Who's going to buy it? But, but in the shadow of all the music programs in Kalamazoo, you know, the, the Gilmore Keyboard Festival, mm-hmm. some of the other things, there are already people on a worldwide basis looking to this region. Mm-hmm. So to build something that dovetails that, you, you cannot use any other word to describe it other than brilliant. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the whole region moves forward uh, with a plan like this. Yeah. So, yeah, this is uh, it's a project that, in case you haven't noticed, uh, <laughs> I'm very excited about. And and the little things. Um, there are some buildings on the mill property that were not going to be utilized, um, but rather than you know tear them down and store them in a landfill somewhere, they've sold buildings to folks on the other side of the state that are doing things that help the less fortunate, um, they came over here and for a very good price, took the building down, took it back, built it, expanded a business that helps people who need it. Um, the bricks that are unusable from uh, that huge building um, are going to be broken down and used in uh, road gravel, betting for infrastructure repairs. Um, that's all exciting stuff to me. And People like to feel good about where they are. And if you begin your conversations on the positive side, um, again, you're not making up stories. You're telling things that are happening in a positive, fruitful way. And people feel good about their community. When those things that may happen down the road that uh, folks would have an opportunity um, let's be honest, there is lead paint 
on that site. They're working yeah. on the remediation of that. Rumors can get started about all these things. But if people have trust that you're doing things the right way, they will have trust that you're doing that the right way. And um, that can save a whole lot of work mm -hmm. for folks. Um, so am I excited about this? You bet. I think so. I think so. This has been great, Alex. This is uh, educational, as I knew it would be. A lot of fun. Just kind of feel like I'm just shooting the breeze with you. Um, if someone were to tell you tomorrow, uh, or tell you tonight that tomorrow you can no longer be a storyteller, what would your last story be that you'd want to go out with? I guess the the story that I think, if if it were the end for me tonight in whatever... Um, story, I'd like someone to figure out how to tell the story of my rescue dog, Freckle, um, or my four children. Mm. Uh, my four children have grown up, uh, despite my parenting, to be <laughs> wonderfully intelligent, successful, inclusive people that you would love to be neighbors with that will show up and help you uh, if necessary. I'm very proud of that. Uh, Freckle, my dog, would tell a story of horrible abuse, having been thrown out of a, a vehicle, mm. um, you know, and she is such a beautiful soul that I think if I would want somebody to justify my existence, which I certainly would if it ended tomorrow, um, those might be the people who would tell the story of me um, the way I would like it to be told. Freckle and the Four Kids. That sounds like a good book. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Alex. It's been great, Dan. It's always good to see you, and I hope you'll invite me back. Absolutely. Once again, Alex Lee, thank you so much for being on the show. You can, you can connect with him at links in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with someone. Social media, text, email, wherever you can tell someone about Storytellers Network and inspire them to tell better stories, go ahead and do that. And if you want to share your story with me, go to the storytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan, and send me a note. Or you can just email me straight up, dan at the storytellersnetwork.com. Let me know what you love about the show and what's going on in your life. Until next time. Here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.